And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Lights out and away we ayo! Welcome to No Breaks, a Formula One podcast from the No Dunks Inc. Classic Factory, proudly a part of the Athletic Podcast Network, whether you're listening on Apple, Spotify, the Athletic app, or you're part of the Slipstream team watching on YouTube. Thanks for coming along for the ride, and thanks to Sergio for coining the term Slipstream team. I love it. I'm your host today, Trey Kirby. We've got JD fine-tuning things down on Pit Row, and our guest today is a real no-dunks man of mystery. You hear his name on the podcast probably once a month regarding a variety of topics, including, but not limited to, mountain bike racing, fly fishing, boxing, the San Antonio Spurs, jazz music, international wines, parliament funkadelic, mean cats, and most importantly today, he's one of the few people I know who was an F1 fan before Drive to Survive came out on Netflix. It's Graydon Gordian. Oh, thank you. So excited to be here. Gosh, it's a, it's a dream come true for all these years to be welcomed onto No Ducks. It's been a long time, man. We've been friends now for about a decade. Met in the early days of the NBA blogosphere. Shout out to 48 Minutes of Hell, your great Spurs site from back in the day. We watched game six of the 2009 Bulls Celtics first round series together. That's a bonding moment, Graydon. That we is ended still- up in Atlanta. So it only makes sense to finally hop on a podcast and talk about race cars. <laughs> that day that we watched that in that bar in Chicago, watching the Bulls that day is still, I'm not even a Bulls fan, but it is still maybe my favorite like game bar watching experience of my entire life. The place was electric. It was incredible. So fun. Sure, the Bulls winning uh, a game six of a first round series uh, that they ended up losing is one of the high points of the Bulls since 1998, but I'm 100% with you. I will never forget that day. It was a great time. Uh, Speaking of podcasts about race cars, though, we got a new shirt dropping with Breaking Tea today. Uh, You can hit up nodunks.com or breakingtea.com slash nodunks. For this sick McLaren Golf livery-inspired No Dunks racing shirt, this is one of my favorite ones that uh, the Breaking Tea crew has come up with since we've been working with them. It's only available for a week, though, so you got to be quick. Great, and we're going to get you one of these. Baby Blue looks good on everybody, my man. Yeah, I got to get me one of these. I, I think I need one of each, actually, because they are... This is my favorite design, I think. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. This is my favorite design. I'm seeing it a lot, JD. A lot of people are fans of this one. And, you know, Graydon and I are both wearing hats here. Hats off to Breaking Tea. They came to us and said, hey, we heard you've mentioned Formula One on the podcast a few times. Would you ever want to do a shirt? Oh, yeah, we would. Just hang on to it because uh, we got a podcast coming out 
later on in August. And that podcast is finally here. Graydon, had to have you on because you've been a Formula One fan longer than anybody I know outside of Lee Ellis. How'd you start watching F1? Honestly, it's it was pretty simple. I watched, you know, maybe like back around what 2013, I watched the movie Rush. I yep. knew nothing about it. I knew, you know, nothing about F1, but I thought, gosh, this seems really cool. When I learned that that was, in fact, a true story or, you know, basically a true story, I thought, this is incredible. This is such an exciting season. I got I to gotta find out more about this. So I watched the Senna documentary, which is terrific. I think it's a bit like Hoop Dreams, one of those documentaries that you don't actually have to be that into the sport to appreciate to love like what a great movie it is and after that i just started watching races initially i had no idea what was going on it was very hard to figure out the rules and the strategy but i just gave it enough time and one day i woke up and i was kind of obsessed so you know all these years later here we are i'm not surprised that's exactly how it was for me with drive to survive and like many other people exactly with drive to survive it's funny you mentioned senna i'm pretty sure that senna is the first movie I ever got from Netflix, like back when they were a DVD mailing service, you know, everybody was talking about, you gotta see Senna, you gotta see Senna. You can't just get it from a red box or whatever we had back then. So they sent it. And then, you know, for me, it was not instantly getting into Formula One. I just had to wait another 10 years to finally hop on board. But once they came out with that series, uh, you, I believe, uh, tipped Skeets and Nora off to it. They told us about it. And then season one kind of re- went right into that next Formula One season. So it was like, it was perfect. To me, it was like watching Hard Knocks and then the season is finally starting. That was really great. But what's it been like for you, an actual fan who's been around for a while, to see a whole new group of fans really hop on board here? Honestly, it's incredible. I think it's so fun to have people getting into the sport. There were so many like quiet Sunday mornings spent tweeting basically to myself with like zero <laughs> likes and zero retweets, you know, to yeah. a community of people following me on Twitter that knew nothing about it. Now to wake up and have to see like so much excitement about it, have friends who want to come over and watch the races, to have people to talk about it with. I mean, for so many years, this was an incredibly solitary. <laughs> so it is like, it is, it is really cool to have, to see it growing. And, and now that they're adding a second race in the United States in Miami, um, you know, in addition to the race in Austin, I think it'll only continue to grow here in the U.S. I think we could wake up in a few years and it'll it'll be a very popular sport. Yeah, I went from three likes to 30 likes, maybe 300 likes uh, once they add that second Grand Prix. What do you think is the biggest thing that a new fan really needs to know uh, to get their feet wet watching F1? I think for me, there, there's two things. One is uh, to kind of maybe learn some of the basics about the strategy. What is the rules of tire strategy around, you know, hard, softs, mediums, things of that nature. I think it just helps you understand uh, some of the major decisions that a team makes during a race. But also the biggest thing I would do is kind of fall in love with the midfield. You know, the broadcast is always going to focus on the championship leaders. They're going to focus at the guys at the very front of the pack because they're the ones that are vying for a title. But there's so much great racing action that happens in those guys who are in the four to 12 spot, the guys who are at the very back fighting for the last few points. That's where some of the best racing happens. So to learn to love those drivers and love that action is a way to really get into the sport. Yeah, I think that's actually super important. You can't just follow the top because, I mean, you know who the top two finishers are going to be almost every single week. And you know what it's going to kind of be at the end of the season, just 
based on how things are coming in, uh, but figuring out who's actually going to be third, the teams who are in contention for third, I think is really exciting. And like you're saying, when, you know, Verstappen or Hamilton is 45 seconds clear of the third place, you better be interested in who's actually coming in third, fourth, fifth here. And I think it's also interesting you mention um, the tire strategy, because that to me was like level one of liking Formula One was... Look at this. These guys are racing spaceships around a track. This is incredible. Look how fast these go. Look how much they're spending to make these cars. Uh, Then once you get into the tire strategy, I think you've leveled up to actually figuring out a little bit what's going on there. I only know this because I have to text you every once in a while. I figured out what the undercut was by myself, but then I started seeing them talking about overcuts. I was like, I don't know about this. I don't know. Tire strategy to me is like, it's like if you had to figure out pick and roll defense the very first day you find out about basketball. And I think the great thing about it is is that the teams themselves barely know. There are so many factors that are affecting the conditions out there on the track. Even what they've done in the practices in the days leading up to the race, they're not going to dictate you know, the success of any given strategy, there's always some risk involved. So they're all kind of figuring it out in real time too, which can cause a lot of chaos, which let's, let's be honest, a bit like maybe any sport, you know, mm. F1 is probably at its most fun when things get weird and chaotic. All right, a couple of more questions before we start talking about what's actually been going on this season. Do you have a favorite random Formula One term that you hear and you're like, that's great. Like, I love any time they mention the chicane. That was one I had to text you about. (laughs) They mention a chicane every single week. You're like, it's just a turn where there's not a turn. Oh, that makes sense. Love the chicane. Oh my gosh. I love the, I mean, oh gosh. There's, you know, I don't know if it's like a term, but there's so many like, weird little rules that they have that I still to this day figure out. Just the other day when Sebastian Vettel got disqualified because I learned that they they have to have a, an, an amount of gas left in the car at the end of every race. It's I don't even know what the term for that rule is, but whatever that term, it, it's like there's just there's this endless amount of minutia associated with the sport that is just insane. That like I, I feel it feels like one of these things that no matter how much time you spent watching it, you would never learn all of these rules. You would never learn all of these terms. It's 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 a bottomless pit of like little factoids. So. Yeah, I had no idea about the gas thing either. Apparently, you can't just uh, putter out into the gas station <laughs> at the end of a Formula One race. Last thing I gotta know, Graydon, uh, get your biases out of the way here, man. Who are you pulling for in Formula One? Who am I pulling for? You mean, you, do I want to win the title or just drivers, constructors? Racer? Like, who's your favorites? Oh, so I'm a big Charles Leclerc guy, big time, big time. I, that comes. I, I just liked him from when he was first coming up. I liked him at Alfa Romeo when he hopped over Ferrari. I said, I'm in on this. He's going to be my guy. I think that also is because when I first came into the sport, it was at a really dominant moment. For Mercedes, it still is. And I, so I didn't want to root for them. I didn't want to just be a bandwagon fan. So I, I hopped on board with Ferrari and was rooting for Vettel uh, to hopefully take <laughs> down Hamilton. He was the biggest contender other than Hamilton at that time from another team. So I, but you know, that never panned out. But so I, so for, for me, I'm a big Leclerc guy. I'm a big Leclerc guy. But I, I also love, I mean, Lando Norris is a fan favorite and I totally get it. He's incredibly likable and super fun to watch. Uh, but for me, I'm living and dying out there with Charles. So. so you're calling me a bandwagon fan for saying that Lewis Hamilton is my favorite? 
No, 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 no. But I it's mean, true. Like, back- it's true, Graydon. You can, man. <laughs> Literally, the favorite? girls are like, we like Lewis Hamilton. He wins all the time. I was like, fine, he'll be my favorite, too. I thought you were a Lando guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, if they're wearing orange, I'm rooting for him. Lando is uh, is my number two, no doubt about it. But oh, Ham okay, fam, okay. baby. I love Hammer it, Time. It just, I just was like, I didn't want to come in and pick the guy who was just gobbling up championships. Like yeah, I'm rooting for the Yankees and the Lakers here. No doubt about <laughs> it. Okay, yeah. But talking about this season, we'll get through the Formula One NBA comparisons a little bit. We've had a nice start to the Formula One season. 11 races so far. Four different winners, and up top, we got ourselves a race. Lewis Hamilton leads Max Verstappen by just 12 points in the Drivers' Championship. Mercedes leads Red Bull by 12 points in the Constructors' Championship. For me, Graydon, like I've said, I've been watching for like three or four seasons at this point. This already feels like the best title race in the short time I've been watching. What do you feel, though, about Lewis versus Max this year? You know, this isn't the first time that Lewis has had to really fight to retain his title. I think it was back in 2018. Sebastian Vettel actually went into the summer break in the lead of the championship, but had kind of a horrible second half of the season. And Lewis ended up cruising to a title winning uh, in Mexico. He didn't even have to wait to the last race of the season. But he did get uh, taken down by his uh, former teammate, Nico Rosberg, in the past. So Lewis Hamilton knows how to deal with this level of competition, with this challenge. But it has been incredible to see Verstappen step up and achieve what I think people have known for a long time he was capable of, which was truly vying for a title. He He is a complete driver. He has all the skills it takes to win the title, and now that he's finally in a car that can actually challenge the Mercedes, I, I, I think it's really thrilling to watch. These are these are two of the great drivers of all time. I do believe that we'll look back in 10 years and include Verstappen among the very greats, and to see them going at it so intensely, so competitively, I, I think it's a really special season. Yeah, and it even started like the very first race of the season, right? Hamilton and Verstappen were kind of duking it out for the last 10 laps. In Bahrain, there was uh, the track limits controversy where I'm convinced that Hamilton put his car only where Verstappen would be able to pass him if he went outside of the track. That's what Max had to do. He gave up the spot, and Hamilton just had the juice uh, to hold him off there. That was a fun race, and it started right away. And as we've seen this season, these guys have been scrapping like every single week. It's amazing to watch. It's actually to see guys, them, they're almost, the races are evolving because they're learning each other's styles. They're racing so closely every race. You can literally see their strategies and tactics uh, with regards to one another kind of change from race to race. Even the way that Verstappen has thought about passing or defending against Hamilton. You know, some of the aggressive things we've seen from Hamilton early in races, the, you know, the move that caused Verstappen to go out at Silverstone, this is because he knows that if he doesn't catch Verstappen right away, it's going to be very challenging to overtake him later as he's gotten better at defending against Hamilton's late overtakes. I think all these things are making and will continue to make for just awesome racing over the rest of the year. I'm honestly surprised when we're here at the break to see Mercedes and Hamilton up top, considering how well Red Red Bull has done this season. Verstappen has won five races. Sergio Perez won a race. Red Bull, as a team, won five straight from May to July. They had never won three straight uh, previous to that. Botas is having an underwhelming season. He's in fourth right now, but not really challenging for first in these races. 
Rewatching everything, I, ha- I had a great moment with my father-in-law earlier this week. You know, uh, he he brought Laura back home uh, from Chicago. We were, I was downstairs, literally lying on the couch. I'm like, tough day at the office today, Dwayne. I got to rewatch every single highlight from the F1 season. But rewatching that stuff, it feels like Red Bull has left so many points on the table. There's uh, Verstappen having to give back P1 in Bahrain, Mercedes out tire strategied uh, Red Bull in Spain. Max crashed out of a lead with four laps left in Bahrain. And then we've had a couple of uh, dramatic Mercedes-influenced crashes at Silverstone and the Hungaro ring. Why is it so hard to beat Mercedes? Because it feels like Red Bull is beating Mercedes, but they're not. This is... This is a classic thing, which is that nobody is as consistent as Lewis Hamilton. He knows that the only way you score points is when you bring that car across the finish line. He's been so good at this over his career. It's the way he's won so many titles. And this is an area where if you had to have a a critique of Verstappen, it would be the fact that, you know, he's he's oftentimes had a risk tolerance that maybe Lewis Hamilton doesn't have. But I don't know that I would blame his DNFs on that this year. You know, the, the tire blowing up in Azerbaijan or the fact that he got hit by Hamilton and Silverstone, these aren't his fault. They're just unlucky. But those two DNFs right there, that's tons of points left on the table that those would have easily been races that had he just finished, you know, he would clearly be in the lead in the title. Not to mention coming in, I uh, you know, you know, pretty. I think what ninth at, at Hungary or something mm-hmm. like that. Did he? I, I did he even score points there? I forget exactly his position. But long story short, I think that I actually am very bullish on his chances later in the season because I think they're realizing. Listen, the most important thing is keep the car on the track. Um, we have plenty of speed to beat Mercedes outright. We don't need to take you know, extreme risks in order to win these races. So let's just make sure that we play it maybe a little bit safer than Verstappen has historically and, you know, hopefully bring home the title is what they're thinking. Yeah, it's almost like um, you get the champion's advantage in boxing, right? Where if you're the challenger, you really got to beat him. And in Formula One, it feels like there are times when Verstappen's like, I can't just hope that Hamilton messes up because that's not going to happen very often. It did happen in Bahrain. Like he went outside of the track, I don't know, like maybe lap nine laps left. And that's, you know, Verstappen made made back time, that kind of stuff. But that does not happen very often, no doubt. There's um, an awesome video. I don't know if you've seen this yet, Graydon, on the F1 YouTube channel talking about uh, the battle between Lewis and Max this season. You get to see all these various dust ups they've had and you get a little bit of the backstory on the historical significance of this season. Lewis Hamilton right now tied with Michael Schumacher, seven world titles, Hamilton looking for his eighth. Max Verstappen has never won a title, looking for his first, obviously. And I know the goal was that he would be the youngest ever champion, which is currently Lewis Hamilton, but I think that's out the window right now. That being said, it's just like a matter of months. And Verstappen, he's still only 23. So my question for you, Graydon, Whose legacy is this season going to be more important to? Is it going to be winning an eighth title for Hamilton? Is that a bigger deal than Verstappen getting his first one? I think for Hamilton, there's more at stake legacy-wise, just in the sense that I I think to win an eighth title for a lot of people would cement him as the greatest of all time. Overtaking Schumacher's seven titles is something that I I think at the time nobody thought could be done. I, I just don't know that anybody believed we'd ever see a run along the lines of what Lewis has done. It, it's huge to think he might do that and that he might not even be done. The reason I, and the reason I say it's not as important for Verstappen's legacy is, one, I think there's no shame in losing to, 
losing to Lewis Hamilton. Tons of incredible drivers (laughs) have done that. And then two, as you said, he's only 23. He has years and years left. Lewis is what, 40? I think, what if if Verstappen races for 17 more years? You have to think he'll get chances to win titles. He almost assuredly win titles. I'd put money on it. So I think I think that for him, he's got a lot of career left to, you know, prove that he's one of the greats. Well, it feels like the battle for number one is going to be tight all season long. But like we said, Graydon, you can't just follow the top of the table. Best of the rest. It's a real thing. Right now, we've got Ferrari and McLaren tied for third in the Constructors' Championship, 163 points apiece. And then the triple A's of Alpine, Alpha Tauri, and Aston Martin a little farther back. Who's impressed you the most in this group? So for me, I'm most impressed by Ferrari only in the sense that I didn't think Ferrari would be where they, they are right now. I, I didn't think they would seriously contend with McLaren for third, much less be tied at this point in the season. I figured that McLaren would actually cruise to third. Uh, so the fact that Ferrari has done what they've done, and you could even argue that their number one driver, Charles Leclerc, has underachieved slightly to this point in the season, they're in a great position to take third. At the same time, you know, McLaren has also left some points on the table with the way Ricardo has performed so far. So, I mean, it's, it's, I think that's going to be very exciting. I do think that's a two-horse race. Maybe Alpine could climb back into it. Maybe AlphaTauri with Gasly driving as well as he has. But for me, I think we're looking at some combination of McLaren, Ferrari, third, fourth, you know, by the time the end of the season comes. Yeah, that seems most likely to me as well. And, yeah, maybe Alpine makes a little bit – of a little bit of a charge here but to me it feels like they already had a great season just with what happened in Hungary you know Esteban Ocon got his first win and we had that awesome battle between Alonso and Hamilton for like 15 laps like that's a whole season of cool stuff happening right there for sure that's a huge that 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 alone makes this a win for Alpine it had been a minute since a Renault-powered car had, you know, won a race. And also just, you know, for Fernando Alonso to come back, a guy who, you know, had been out uh, of his own free will, but had been out of F1 to come back, and then to drive so well and drive so competitively with a guy like Lewis right on his tail, you know, I think it's just an awesome race for them. Super cool to see a young guy like Ocon get a win. It's, I think one of my favorite moments in F1 is when you see a guy win his first Grand Prix. It is there. There is just an excitement that is, you know, nothing. You know, it's it's a moment in sports that is just so thrilling for a guy like that. So. Yeah, no doubt about it. Let's uh, talk about some of our favorite and least favorite things we've saw so far uh, during this Formula One season. Graydon, we'll start with our favorite race. What do you think was the best race of the first half of the season? So I, I, there's a number of races that were terrific, but for me, I'm going to go with Azerbaijan. First of all, my boy, Charlie Leclerc, you know, <laughs> Charles got pole, which I love to see. He, he crushes on Saturdays and I love to see it. But, and for much of the race, I actually think you, you probably wouldn't say it was the best race of the season. It, it almost looked like it might even be a boring ending heading towards the end. But once you saw Verstappen's kind of tire blow up and we had the restart, things went crazy you know he locks up uh, Hamilton locks up his brakes and misses the first turn you know out of the main straightaway Perez slips into first which he holds off and then you see some incredible racing 
from Pierre Gasly, Charles Leclerc, and Lando Norris over the last few laps as they battled for the last podium place. That, for me, if, if you're new to F1, go back and watch those guys on those last few laps. It is, it is just awesome stuff, so intense. That was my favorite moment of the year. And also just to see a race you don't see where often, where both the two title leaders walked away with zero combined points. It's not every day you see that, which for me makes it, you know, my favorite of the season. Yeah, about- like you're saying, it was uh, that Azerbaijan was so crazy because it's like it looked like Verstappen had this one wrapped up, and then his tire just completely blew uh, with what maybe four laps remaining, not very much. Uh, and then it's like, okay, I think Perez was technically in first there, but a quick start for Hamilton on the restart, and he could easily overtake. And then maybe he's the winner, but his brakes were like Jim Carrey at the ma- in the mask. So smoking he can't stop he drops to last and then like you're saying the battle between Gosley and Leclerc on that last lap I think Leclerc passed him into third at one point and Gosley came back ended up finishing on the podium that was a really fun race for one that looked like it was going to be over uh you know with four or five laps remaining for me though best race was the British Grand Prix at Silverstone the first race of the season with fans Hamilton's home track they renamed a straight for him it was the first race with sprint qualifying and it was no doubt the most controversial race of the season thanks to a first lap scrap between Lewis and Max they were mixing it up for the whole first half of the first lap they get to turn nine cops corner I hear it's called and I don't know, Graydon, I don't know what's, uh, I don't know actually who's right about this. It seemed like Hamilton had the inside line, seemed like Verstappen was going faster. Hamilton says Max turned into him. Lewis says, or Max says that Lewis didn't leave him enough room, regardless, a humongous crash for Max Verstappen. They said he went into the wall at 51 Gs. The guy had to go to the hospital. He ended up being okay, thankfully. In the race, though, Lewis Hamilton gets a 10-second stop-and-go penalty. What do you think, Graydon? Was that the right call there? It's it's tough. You know, I think, obviously, Red Bull felt it wasn't, felt it wasn't even close to sufficient. A 10-second stop-and-go penalty is fairly harsh for what was a pretty extreme incident. I, I think it was fair. You know, it's definitely something to see Hamilton come all the way back and then win the race, I'm sure is especially was I'm I you know, I know for a fact was especially frustrating for Red Bull. But it was <laughs> electrifying to watch him do that, overtake so many people, fight his way through the field. It, it, you know, it was it was it made for a great race. Uh, and I, I, I think in the end, it's it, it's one of those things where it, it's just, uh, you know, what happens on the track if the penalty is enforced on the track. You know, the person who survives the wreck is always going to come out a little bit better, even if they cause it. It's just mm-hmm. kind of something that's a little bit unfair about racing, but is a reality that I'm not sure you can change. Yeah, and it seems to me that most of the other drivers were like, probably just a racing incident. And, you know, Red Bull already has a reputation for complaining about stuff. But, man, that was a nasty crash. Anyways, Hamilton... Gets his 10-second stop-and-go penalty. I think he serves it on lap 31 of a 52-lap race. Comes out in fourth. He overtakes Lando pretty quickly to go into third. He catches up to Botas. Botas lets him through to second at lap 40. At that point, Hamilton's eight seconds back of Leclerc with 12 laps left. I'm sure they said it was hammer time, and it definitely was. Uh, Hamilton finally tracks down Leclerc, passes him with two laps remaining 
and he passed him at Cop's Corner with basically the same move that he used on Verstappen earlier. The crowd's going crazy. Uh, they cut to the Mercedes paddock. Tom Cruise is there for some reason. He's loving it. He's going crazy, of course. Hamilton gets the W, narrows Max's lead at the time. Leclerc finishes second. He led most of that race, a really great drive. And, you know, Botas gets a little tip of the cap there at third. Thanks to the team orders. I, I thought it was very funny that uh, Hamilton afterward was like, what a great sportsman Valtteri was letting me win. That's truly great uh, sportsmanship. But yeah, super controversial race and a ton of fun. We'll move on to biggest surprise of the season. What's a driver or a team or whatever that surprised you during this first half? For me, so there have been a lot of surprises this year. But for me, the biggest surprise is Williams with 10 points at the break. A lot of people thought Williams were going to improve. You've got new ownership. You have a new team principal. They're making new investments into the team. And with two great young drivers, we thought that they wouldn't be as bad as they were in years prior. But with 10 points, they now have more points than they had combined in 2018, 2019, and 2020. All three of those seasons together, they only scored eight points, including zero last year. So to have 10 at this point in the season is a huge step forward for them. It's an awesome achievement. Super excited for them. Super excited for George Russell to finally get some points after you know so many races. I think he had become uh, the driver who had b- driven the longest with a single team without having scored a point for it. So it's nice that that's no longer hanging over his head. Um, you know, so it's starting to show that you know you can come back from being a backmarker. You know, to make the investments put in the time, build the car, and you can start to inch your way back. And I think in a few years, we're going to wake up and see Williams as a competitive team again. So really, really excited, but admittedly, pretty surprised they're where they're at. Yeah, no doubt about it. Hungary was a fun race. Um, a hilarious start from Botas. Looked like me playing an F1 video game where you just floor it because you can't figure out how to gently ease onto the throttle. Crashes into everybody, so Williams was able to pick up some points there. Uh, they're definitely of the backmarking teams. It's um, them, Alfa Romeo, and Haas, right? They're beloved, at least, Williams is, and everybody thinks Russell's a future champion. Do you agree? I do. I think he's a supreme talent. Once he's in a faster car, which uh, I think it seems fairly likely he might be driving the Mercedes next year, I think you'll see him probably win a race next year or at least be on the podium several times. And I do think that he definitely has what it takes to be a champion. Uh, There's a lot of young guys with championship, you know, medal, but he's he's definitely among them. And you're right. It did take a crazy race like Hungary to get Williams into the points, but oftentimes that's what it takes for a backmarker to start scoring points. Things have to get a little wild, which Hungary is certainly seeing a single car restart with Hamilton is about the wildest <laughs> thing I've ever totally, seen. Totally, man. <laughs> so I never, I truly had never seen anything like that. So, uh, but nonetheless, they made it happen. You know that they they kept the cars on the track and you know we're rewarded for it. Yeah, and there's been crazy races before where Williams hasn't scored points. So uh, hats off to them. My biggest surprise, I see Colin White said the same thing here in the Slipstream team. I never thought Carlos Sainz would be just as good as Charles Leclerc. And that has been impressive to me. Uh, You know, Sainz came over uh, to Ferrari this season. Right now, he's got a lead on Leclerc. 83 points for Sainz, 80 for Leclerc. And I think it just comes down to the DNFs, right, Graydon? Because Leclerc has qualified higher in eight of the 11 races. He's finished higher in seven of 11 races. But 
Sainz has a couple of podiums to Leclerc's one. Obviously, Leclerc had the major setback at Monaco where he won pole and then crashed on the last lap of qualifying, wasn't able to start. Uh, Hamilton tracked him down. Uh, like we were talking at Silverstone, but I really love seeing Carlos Sainz competing with one of the best in the game because Leclerc, to me, has been fast-tracked as one of the next big things in the sports. Carlos Sainz, he's just a nice guy, very handsome, but he's been on a bunch of teams here, three teams in four seasons. To me, it just seems like he keeps things steady and he adjusts to every single race. He's able to get the most out of whichever car he's driving, which I think is impressive. And really, it's exactly what Ferrari needed, a little stability there, because Vettel was just the spin factory for his last couple of years uh, for the Scuderia. So signs coming in and pushing Leclerc, I think, has been really, really impressive. Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Signs is so consistent, and his consistency is what's keeping his, him competitive. I think you're right, Leclerc's ceiling is much higher, and if he can cut down on these DNFs, cut downs on some of these self-inflicted wounds like he had at Monaco, he's probably still in the lead. And I suspect that he'll have more points than Signs by the end of the season. I would be very impressed if Signs can keep this up in the second half of the year. But I do think that the reason you're seeing Ferrari where they are in the overall standings is because as a second driver, Sainz is so reliable and is getting the most out of the car week in, week out. Speaking of the car, one of the biggest challenges that F1 drivers complain about is adjusting to a new car and moving from McLaren to Ferrari. You're talking about two very different styles, different engines, different aerodynamics. The fact that Sainz has picked it up as quickly as he has, very impressive. Well, that's a great segue and a great question from Arthur in the Slipstream team. He says, ask Graydon what's going on with Ricardo. He's being terrible this year. Let's talk about our biggest disappointments. Graydon, get us started, bud. He, he is. It's, it, you know, he is my biggest disappointment. I'm very surprised at Daniel Ricardo. You're talking about a guy with seven race wins, you know, a guy who knows how to, how to get up on the podium. And, you know, he's 63 points behind his teammate, Lando. I understand Lando is having a spectacular season, maybe the best season outside of, you know, easily the best season outside of anybody not named Max or Lewis. But nonetheless, for Danny to be floundering down in ninth, it's a huge disappointment. I know he's disappointed. He's complained about challenges with the car. Um, perhaps there's, you know, and there's issues with, I think, the braking style. He's kind of famously known as the last of the late breakers. And <laughs> he's claimed that, he's, that he can't necessarily drive his very aggressive style into turns. But it, nonetheless, I, I think it's a shock. And, you know, you'd hope you'd see real meaningful improvement because clearly the car is capable of a pace that he's just not matching. Yeah, and it's strange to see when you compare him to like uh, Perez or Sainz or Vettel, these veterans who have also switched to new cars this year, and they've been able to figure it out. Like Perez, I thought, had a bit of a rocky start with Red Bull, but he's obviously turned it around. Uh, but yeah, I'm a little bit bummed about Danny Rick this year at McLaren as well. He's one of the best personalities in F1. If you've watched Drive to Survive, like it's impossible not to be cheering for the guy. And yeah, I was looking forward to him and Lando together. Uh, you know, I love Lando's a great trash talker. Danny Rick's the opposite. He just wants everybody to have fun out there. I thought they were going to be a great team. And like you're saying, Lando's been great, but Danny has not brought it. For me, biggest disappointment so far, Aston Martin, only 48 points. It's a disappointing season for them. They were P4 last year as racing point. They swapped in Sebastian Vettel for Sergio Perez. Still got Lance Stroll around, but they just haven't been competitive at all. I love the green livery, but I'm missing that classic racing point pink and blue. And as it turns out, 
No pink Mercedes, no chance uh, for Aston Martin. Regulations changed early or prior to this season regarding high rake and low rake cars. Graydon, no idea what a rake is. No idea what a high or a low rake could possibly mean, but I know it affected Mercedes and Aston Martin more than anybody else, except for Mercedes is actually building their cars so they can adjust. Aston Martin has just become another team. You know, they really challenged for third last year, but now they're kind of at the back of the midfield. So it's got to be a little bit of a disappointment for Aston Martin. Yeah, it's it's definitely a huge disappointment. You think, you know, having a pole position last year in Turkey for Lance, getting a win at the secure uh, GP with Sergio Perez behind the wheel, you know, I think they had hoped to repeat that success. But you're right, the, the regulations that affected the, you know, that were affected low rate cars more in particular, which just as a quick explainer to those of you who are new to the sport, uh, low rate cars are cars that are a little bit longer and have a slightly less aggressive angle about them where high rate cars are a little shorter and they're angled more aggressively, which famously, you know, Mercedes is a very low rake car and Red Bull is a very high rake car, which always helps it in the corners. It has a lot more aerodynamics, but a low rake car has less drag and therefore will be faster on the straightaways. So it's choices that you have to make when you're setting up the car. Um, and whatever the regulation changes were, to be honest, I don't know if I, <laughs> I, could, even, I could even explain them. <laughs> they changed but, somehow. But inarguably, they've, in, they've impacted, you know, the low-rate teams a lot, you know, S and Martin being where they are. And then similarly, Mercedes now being challenged by Red Bull, you know, that they've lost some time comparatively to their biggest rival. Yeah, it worked out for the competitive nature up top for the championship. But if you're Aston Martin, you're probably like somebody gave you a cake and is like, here, you try and bake that cake just from looking at it. And they don't know the ingredients, unfortunately for them. But uh, I think I see a yellow flag. Looks like we got a safety car coming through. Got to get things cleaned up around here. When we come back, NBA Formula One driver comparisons. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It's NBA playoffs time, and that means NBA snack time. I can't stop eating while I'm watching. So many options in my house that I got to cut out a bit. I got to switch it up, but I know I'm not giving up. Sunflower seeds? Sure. But maybe something that's not a food for that oral fixation, perhaps? Good thought. Here's a breath of fresh air. Fume. Fume takes your habit and simply makes it better, healthier, and more enjoyable. Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavored air device. Instead of vapor, fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Its taste is surprising. All natural stuff. 
It's fun to fidget with, and it's a good weight. The wood feels good, and it feels cool to use. Start the good habit by going to tryfume.com slash dunks and getting the journey pack today. Fume is giving listeners to the show 10% off when they use our code dunks to help make starting the good habit that much easier. Welcome back to the show. We've got a lot of knowledgeable F1 fans in the No Dunks universe, a bunch of real Graydon Gordians, but we've also got a lot of Trey Kirby's in the mix, new fans who are just getting their feet wet. So to ease the transition and because we are technically a basketball show, thought it would be fun to do some Formula One driver NBA comparisons Graydon. I'll give you a driver's name. You break down who they are in the NBA. There are 20 drivers, probably too many for right now. So we got about half of them ready to rock. Let's give it a go. First one, we're starting at the top. Who is the NBA comparison for Lewis Hamilton? This one is probably the easiest because there's really only two people you could compare Lewis to. And for me, as the modern day GOAT, He's got to be LeBron James. He's he's a complete driver. He's a complete player. He does everything for you. But it's also, it's not just about what they do on the court or the course. It's about the fact that LeBron has his burgeoning media empire. He's got interests outside of the game. So does Lewis Hamilton with his fashion line. He's got myriad interests. They're just huge personalities that whose impact on global culture are going to transcend their time at the top of their sports. For me, it's, it's you know, the way that MJ is to LeBron, Schumacher is to Hamilton. Yeah, I think that's a pretty easy one, and you're seeing it in the slipstream team all over the place. Lewis equals LeBron. Both are chasing a Michael. I like that point, Jerry. And both are seen as whiny by their haters. That's absolutely true as well. Becoming a Lewis Hamilton fan, I felt like I was becoming a LeBron James fan in 2010. Next one up on the list, uh, who is your NBA comparison, Graydon, for Max Verstappen? This was a tricky one because I actually, I actually struggled to think of this one, but I decided that for me it's really about who is a guy who maybe to some is a villain, but to people who maybe would hate a LeBron James or hate a Lewis is a hero, is the guy who's looking to knock him off of that number one spot, is now maybe finally being thought of as the greatest in his respective sport. Uh, For me, it's Kevin Durant. He's the only guy that vies really meaningfully challenges the other one for the title of greatest today. I think that's great. Um, And, you know, earlier on this year on the podcast, somehow Skeets and I got talking to do you think do you think Kevin Durant knows who Max Verstappen is just does he is he aware of who he is as a person uh my vote was for yes because KD is always about the zeitgeist to me he would have to know a little bit about the drive to survive series and as a competitor I'm sure he's interested in other sports around the world yeah this is I think this is a pretty solid one too uh KD as Max Verstappen you're seeing some Luka Doncic love uh as Max Verstappen here and I think that's probably fair, too, though. Fair. Max is probably fair. a little further along in his career uh, than Doncic is right now. Let's move on. Lando Norris, who's his comparison? Lando, love this one. So what are we talking about here? You're talking about a guy with an electrifying style that, that fans love. You're talking about a baby-faced assassin. You're talking about a guy that is pushing his team to great heights, perhaps faster than anybody thought they would 
for me, Lando is easily Devin Booker, who Ooh. I think has been, who I think people love to watch. He's easy to root for. He's likable. He's got you know the young the young looks, but he's taken the team all the way to the finals pretty early in his career. Um, I think that that's similar to what Lando is doing out there on the track today. That's a great call. I did not expect a Devin Booker, and I think it works even better because didn't uh, didn't McLaren put like a Phoenix Suns logo on their car for one of these races during the finals? Did they, I hadn't even thought I'm about the sure orange. Did, yeah. <laughs> the orange thing. I, I hadn't even thought about that. That's, That's pretty good, man. I was thinking maybe Trey Young. And honestly, once you started describing it, I was like, oh, I can't believe I'm going to go three for three on these. But uh, oh. curveball with Booker. That's really good. Moving on. Valtteri Botas. Who is his NBA comparison? Okay, so Valtteri, what, what are you talking about here? You're talking about a second fiddle, but a guy who is supremely talented, a guy who really is terrific at what he does, but has faltered at some really big moments and has been overshadowed because he plays alongside a guy that's actually won titles. For me, this guy is, and lastly, a guy who, despite being great and despite playing on a great team, can be a little chippy with the media from time to time. I think he's Paul George. Oh. I think he's, well, he, he's, he's not the best player on his team, despite being really great. But, you know, when he's at the highest stage, sometimes he, he doesn't make it happen. I think that's a pretty fair comparison. I thought it was a little disappointing this year that we didn't even get the fake buzz of Ken Botas challenge Hamilton for the title. Like, that wasn't even uh, part of the discussion this year. It was 100% focused on Lewis and Max. Do you think that Botas is going to be done at Mercedes after this year? I do think he's going to be done at Mercedes after this year. I, I, I think I would... I'm 90% confident Russell takes the seat. I, in fact, I'm interested to see, is Botas even going to hang around in F1? Is a backmarker team going to want him, or are they going to want to take a bet on a younger talent that they think they can you know, build into over the coming years? Yeah, what is Botas's rep around Formula One? He started with Williams, if I'm not mistaken. He's been at Mercedes now for a while, and there were a couple of years where at least he was pushing Hamilton a little bit, but this season and last season, he's really seemed to fall off. I think I think you know, he, he is a terrific talent. He was a great driver with Williams, and when Merck brought him on, they were super excited. And for the first few years, he was the perfect pairing because he was happy to be a second driver to Lewis, where prior to having him on there, Nico Rosberg and Lewis had an incredibly tense relationship, and the sort of animosity there was something that Mercedes was really looking to avoid. But Botas has floundered as he's gotten more and more frustrated with being the second fiddle, with having to you know obey team orders, let Hamilton through. There's you know He's done it this year, but there's a few instances in the past where Botas was almost sure to win a race and in fact had to let Hamilton through incredibly controversial team orders to come down you know from Toto Wolf and the rest of the team there so I think that as as that started to come to light he, he's it's it I think it's just kind of caused his career to you know I don't know sour a little bit and I think he's sputtering to an end I see some people in the Slipstream team are saying that Lewis Hamilton would prefer for Botas to stick around Mercedes because he's clearly the number one uh, as long as Botas is there. Whereas if Russell comes over, you know, he has the relationship with Toto Wolf and Russell's tabbed to be one of the next big drivers in Formula One as well. Do you think Lewis Hamilton cares at all who's the second driver at Mercedes? Oh, I think he absolutely cares. And I, I think the Slipstream team is 100% correct. In fact, that's probably the biggest thing that Botas has 
going for him is, is that Hamilton <laughs> is going to be a huge advocate of keeping him because he because the, the both you know that that Hamilton is going to be a huge advocate of keeping him because I think that he doesn't want the challenge that Russell's going to pose. Russell's going to come and he's going to be very aggressive. He's going to intend to make his career. He's the guy that Mercedes is going to see as the future of the team. And I think you it's not going to be as extreme as what you saw with Vettel and Leclerc because Vettel was probably, you know, further past his peak than Hamilton is. But I think that, you know, uh, old guard, young gun tension would absolutely be there. Whereas Hamilton is, you know, clearly, undisputably the number one guy as long as Botas is still there. That's great. I love it. All right. Let's move on. Who is an NBA comparison for Daniel Ricciardo? Ooh, I. uh, Okay, so this is this is a good one. So who are we talking about here? We're talking about a fan favorite with a big personality. We're talking about a guy with a super aggressive style that reached great heights earlier in his career, but more recently has bounced around from team to team and hasn't been able to recreate the magic that he maybe had earlier on when he was teamed up with some really exceptional young talent. You're talking about, for me, with the last of the late breakers, you're talking about the fastest of the fast breakers. You're talking about Russell Westbrook. Interesting, interesting. And Westbrook, uh, I guess I would say that Ricardo is a little bit more beloved than Westbrook is. Westbrook yeah, is a polarizing guy, and you know everybody loves Ricardo, but. That's not bad. I don't, you know, uh, like I said, I hopped in season one, Drive to Survive. And at that point, they were talking about Max Verstappen perhaps becoming the youngest world champion ever. But they still wanted Ricardo to be able to do something and, uh, you know, be a successful driver as well. And it seems to me like he's all he's the guy that they've said has the championship pedigree the entire time. He's got the incredible nickname, the best nickname on the grid, no doubt about it, the last of the late breakers, but just hasn't been able to put it together. So from that perspective, I definitely see the Westbrook comparison. And I think uh, for, you know, for people who are probably a little bit newer fans or have come in in the Drive to Survive era, you know, they kind of missed what was Ricardo's you know, heyday, which was, you know, over those years that he was with Red Bull, he won seven races. Uh, He had a number of other races in which he was incredibly competitive. His win at Monaco in 2018, I think, is one of the great Monaco wins because his car was faltering and he actually wasn't able to get into his top gear. And he managed to maintain the lead nonetheless. It looked like it might be another heartbreaking loss after a few seasons prior where he had lost in a similarly kind of upsetting circumstances uh, in Monaco as well. So I think, you know, he he clearly is capable of getting himself up on the top step when he's in the right car, but he's he's not capitalizing on his opportunity this year or over the last few seasons, for that matter. And just like Westbrook, he has been bouncing around a lot. Is that just the way of F1? You're on top of the world, and then suddenly there's a younger driver who's going to be faster than you, and you start feeling the pressure. Like, that happened with Vettel and Leclerc, like you're saying. Uh, that happened with Ricardo and Verstappen. And maybe it could maybe it could happen with Hamilton and Russell as well. I think the thing that we forget about F1 or forget, but maybe what is such a huge gap between other sports that Americans watch a lot of is there are only 20 spots in this entire sport. There are there's 15 guys on an NBA team. This is basically like one NBA team's worth of positions, especially when you limit it to just the top teams that are actually contending. So it is incredibly competitive. You know, and I think that there is always and these teams, you know, they're 
they're only going to be so sentimental about holding on to a guy who's been there for a long time, especially because there's a lot of cash associated with every position, you know, in the standings, you know, up that they finish. So, you know, they're going to be aggressive. It's hard to, you know, let, and you see a lot of turnover, especially given this incredibly talented young generation of guys. They're going to put a lot of pressure on the old guard here pretty soon. Has that always been the case that there are great, you know, 20 to 24 year old drivers? Because that's the thing to me. I'm always like, man, they're doing Vettel dirty. You know, what's Leclerc ever done? That guy hasn't, he did one season at Alfa Romeo, whereas this guy's a world champion. They're just getting rid of him, but like, it's the right move. And I know I was, I was more happy to drive fast when I was 20 than when I'm 37, you know? I would actually say that it's actually maybe the the opposite. Well, it's I would not say this is standard. I say it's a little bit new that that over the years the you know F one is getting younger and younger and younger in terms of the age of the drivers. It's why you see increase. You know, we're consistently breaking the youngest driver mm-hmm. to win a championship, youngest driver to win a race. Things that most of those records have been set in the last. 10 or so years, whether they were by Vettel or Verstappen or whomever, you know, so I think that that's, it's, it's, if you actually go back to the very beginning of F1, you know, guys were much older, guys were even in their 30s when they were first getting a drive. Now, that's a, that's a ways back in the 50s or 60s. But I think that, you know, you're seeing uh, a lot of young guys get a shot because they're eager to get the new talent in and prove whether they've really got it at the same time though what's really interesting is you're seeing the old guard hang on hamilton raikkonen alonzo vettel these guys are really deep into their career and they're still holding on with drives and some of them competing at a very very high level with hamilton in particular so it's kind of actually splitting Mm. in both extremes yeah you don't want to be in the middle it sounds like uh i know the drivers at least look a lot younger than they did because i was watching something about um like the closest rate or closest championship races uh, in F1 history determined by points. And like they showed Nigel Mansell with his helmet off. I was like, they were letting a 50 year old man drive a Formula One car around there. That seems a little bit unsafe to me. Uh, but, you know, speaking of older gentlemen, moving on to our next comparison. Who is your NBA comparison for Fernando Alonso? Ooh. OK, so what are we talking about here? We're talking about a veteran guy who has got a ton of savvy, borderline tricky, some might even say dirty, (laughs) Um, but a guy who is nonetheless respected, will be respected as one of the all-time greats, Uh, certainly as a great defender, as we just saw the other day in Budapest. Uh, He's going to be one of the all-time greats, despite the fact that he didn't win nearly as many titles as some people thought he might at the beginning of his career. I think he's CP3. Ooh. Interesting. I actually really like that because uh, Chris Paul has not been my favorite basketball player over the course of his career. And the things that rub me the wrong way about Chris Paul are like his controlling nature and the way he goes about things that displease him. And season one of Drive to Survive, I was like, anytime they showed Alonzo, I was like, this guy is complaining again. Like, it just seemed like nothing was ever his fault. But uh, like you're saying, I missed the peak of Fernando Alonso when he was one of the best drivers in the world. And now seeing him come back from a couple of years away and seeing uh, like that battle with Hamilton uh, just recently, you got to put some respect on the guy's name, just like Chris Paul taking a team to the finals. But you're 100% right. He is a fame, famously difficult teammate, which cool. I think is another thing that makes him like Chris Paul. I mean, he, a lot of people, Ocon claims to love driving with him, but there are a lot of guys that have not 
not shared that sentiment. Well, Ocon should love it. He got a win. He got his first career win thanks to Fernando Alonso playing that defense. A lot of people were saying maybe Fernando Alonso was going to be either Kawhi Leonard or Lou Dort for the way he shut down Hamilton for a while there. But uh, moving on, who's your George Russell comparison? He's come up a few times so far on the podcast. So for me, and and this name has already uh, you know been mentioned by some of y'all listening. For me, if you're looking at George, you're talking about a guy who's a supreme talent who's going to define the sport over the next decade, a person who dominated in, you know, the earlier in his career before he came up to the big leagues, but has struggled to realize his potential so far because he hasn't been surrounded by the pieces he needs to really compete for a title. For me, George Russell is Luca. Oh, okay. This is, I think, I think he'll be what Luca and him, I think their, their, their greatness will coincide. In fact, I think we'll probably see the two of them win titles, win MVPs, compete at a very high level at similar times in their lives. Well, I guess if you're a Mavericks fan, you're then rooting for George Russell to stay with Williams. Because if he joined uh, Mercedes, that'd be like hooking up with LeBron there on the Lakers. <laughs> Nobody would like that. Would that be? Would people look down upon that if George Russell goes to Mercedes? They're like, is that a thing? Do people worry about building a super team in Formula One? It's just two drivers. It, no, I don't think anybody. Bl- it, it, I don't think it's the same culture around it because. The, the car is so critical to your ability to compete. Nobody blames a driver for trying to put themselves in the best car. I just think it's like you've got you, – the, the car has to be capable. Put Lewis Hamilton in a Haas, and he's, he's not scoring points. It doesn't matter, right? You know, so it's what a like, challenge. Think, what a challenge that would be. <laughs> yeah, so, it's, so I think it, it's – so nobody blames him for being, I'm going to go and, and put myself in a position to win. All right, I think that's a good one. We got a few more left here. Let's get to them. Why not? We're having fun. Who is your NBA comparison for Sebastian Vettel? I wrote down Chris Paul, so I know that's not going to be the answer. Oh, see, for me here, okay, you know what? This is this was another tricky one. Vettel is probably more achieved than the guy I'm about to say, but you're talking about a guy who's at the end of his career, is kind of bouncing around, has chilled out a little bit, but is hoping for just a little bit more of late career glory. But for me, the biggest thing about it is Vettel has become kind of the godfather to F1. He's the guy that ev- the, all the other drivers love, that the young drivers look to for guidance, that they look to as almost a father figure. And for me, that makes him a lot like Carmelo Anthony, hmm. who is who is so respected by the other players in the league, I think in the same way that Vettel is. I think that's really good. And um, surely Melo would love to have four titles, just like Vettel does. That's the that's where I think the comparison falls apart. Late Melo. Yeah, Vettel was you know, is is gonna go down as you know, one of the greats with four straight titles. Melo never did anything quite like that. Maybe we'll count his Olympic titles and say that. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, that's definitely fair. Uh, I don't know much. I don't understand how Red Bull came into the sport and instantly won a bunch of titles. My guess is they just paid a whole bunch of money to make their car the best. Money and success have a correlation. (laughs) Yeah, they are. They are. There is that. Yeah, for sure. Well, plus, I mean, energy drinks were at an all-time high when Red Bull really got into Formula One racing. I don't think that uh, that's a coincidence. Moving on, we've got a couple of more comparisons left. Who is Carlos Sainz in the NBA? Ooh, okay. So what we've got here is a guy who's really terrific, but is undoubtedly 
the second best on his team. Um, but, you know, he can reach great heights, but he's also the son of royalty of his sport. He comes from a lineage of championships. His father won multiple titles in his respective sport. For me, Carlos is Clay Thompson. You know, playing alongside you know a you know a guy who's thought of as one of the gonna be one of the greats of his era, and his dad you know uh, won a couple NBA titles. Carlos Sainz Senior is a multiple-time World Rally Car champion, um, so he's you know he he comes from a great lineage. That's I, I think he's a clay guy. That's perfect, man. Uh, I had Mike Miller down just because he seems like a well-liked guy, but Clay Thompson is like like beloved around the NBA. Nobody has a bad thing to say about Clay, and he fits in perfectly being a second-generation player, being a second-generation driver, and like you're saying, you know what you're getting from Clay. He's going to shoot the ball every single time he's open. He's going to shoot it even when he's not open. He's going to make them. But Steph Curry's still the number one guy there, just like Leclerc is for Ferrari. That's a great one. Our final comparison mick schumacher who is the nba's mick schumacher okay i'm going a little bit off script here because i'm actually going to make a comparison that's not to a guy who's not yet an nba player but what are we talking about we're talking about the son of an all-time great arguably the greatest of all time a uh, a guy who we don't really know how great he's going to be, but there's flashes of brilliance, and everybody is really excited to see how his career evolves. And it would be so cool for him to reach the top of the sport. For me, he's little Bronny James. Yeah, buddy. That's what I had on my list, too. That's yeah, who it's got to be. Like, Mick Schumacher, yeah. I was like, I don't know if this guy's going to be good, but I know who his dad is, and he won a championship <laughs> at the lower levels. I, I don't think you can pick anybody else uh, yeah. for Mick Schumacher. Is he going to be good, do you think? Is it just a matter of you got to take good. your licks and Haas for a little bit? Yeah, I think he's pretty good. I actually think he's doing well in the car, which is incredibly limited. I, I think he, he actually drove really well in Hungary. I think he had a great race. Uh, you know, it's a rookie season is tough, but I think he's evolving quickly. I'm pretty bullish on him. Is is he as great as some of the other young talent, Leclerc, Verstappen, Norris, Russell? I mean, there's a this his generation is a real murderer's row, so it's going to be competitive. But I think he's got the chops to hang in the sport for a long time. Is he a guy that Ferrari would be interested somewhere down the line, or is it more like they have their pick of the litter, really? Oh, I, I assure you, Ferrari is interested. If he if he excels and does well, you know, the Schumachers are so beloved inside the Ferrari organization. You know, Michael is a legend there, and he's still very, although he's he's mostly out of the sport now. You know, he's still you know beloved by top brass over there. And and Mick, you know, has been part of the Ferrari Young Driver program. I assure you that if if he excels and reaches his potential, that they'll seriously consider him uh, as a guy to bring to the top team. Incredible stuff, Graydon. Those are your F1 driver NBA comparisons. I've got one last one to make that I've seen in the Slipstream team a few times. JD is Toto Wolf. The way he's just holding it down for us in the background, making things actually happen out here and making all the right calls for us and speaking of the right calls. We got to take one more break when we're back. A little preview for the second half of the season. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. 
Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Well, Graydon, I finally exceeded track limits. Completely botched it. We had 10 names lined up, and if you were paying close attention, you may have noticed I only asked nine names really quickly. Hit me with your Charles Leclerc NBA comparison. Well, he is my fave after all, and I think with Charles Leclerc, you're talking about a guy who is a the most storied team in the sport is pinning their hopes and dreams to the man. You know, he's thought of as a complete driver and a complete player. His NBA comparison. He, but are they actually contenders? You know, they wish they were, but they're not there yet. For me, he's Jason Tatum. Ooh. Interesting. Uh, one of the youngest guys out there, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So that's a great comparison as well. And a hollowed team, Ferrari, the Boston Celtics, and like you're saying, the hopes and dreams are alongside, uh, are on the shoulders of Jason Tatum. It almost makes me wish that you had picked Carlos Sainz as Jalen Brown. You know, another number two there. Well, something that could work in the future as well. But uh, great stuff. Sorry, I completely botched it, man. I feel like we were at the Monaco Grand Prix and I was the guy trying to take the right wheel off of Valtteri Botas's car and I just couldn't do it. Just smashing that thing on again and again and again. Ugh, bit of a bummer, but at least we got it in there. We got the second half of the F1 season starting this weekend. Currently another 11 races on the schedule, potential 12th to be added later in the season, and F1 is coming back hot. Got a triple header on deck, starting with the Belgian Grand Prix at Spa this weekend. Practice Friday, qualifying Saturday, race on Sunday, the 2020 podium, Hamilton, Botas, Verstappen, classic. Graydon, what's special about Spa? Oh, I, I Spa is genuinely my favorite race of the year. It is so beautiful uh, to see them racing through the Ardennes Forest in Belgium. It's, it's one of the most spectacular to watch on TV and I'm sure it would be incredible to watch you know, in person. It's an incredibly fast course, uh, a bit like Silverstone or Austria in that way. So the guys who did well there, you might suspect, would do well here. It's the longest track of the season, um, but it also, it just has so many magical moments that are so, you know, these so many hollowed corners, special parts of it, especially the first sector, La Source, Eau Rouge, Radion, and onto the Kemmel Strait. That is one of the great sections of any F1 track on the calendar. So this, this for me is my favorite weekend of the year. I'm very excited. Well, just like we say with every episode of Survivor, sounds like a great time to get in this weekend. Uh, who does the track favor? You say it's a fast one, but also a long one. You know, I think it's historically it's, you know, before Ferrari kind of, you know, uh, had their struggles, they were always great here. They had great engine power. But I think, you know, listen, who was who really going to contend to win at this track? It's going to be Max and Lewis. I think their cars are clearly the fastest 
here, you know, especially over time. I think Ferrari can do well here as we've shown them been able to improve on their race pace over the season. Uh, you know, and, and we saw them perform very well at Silverstone, which I think is a track that has, you know, some similarities to this. Um, you know, I think other, you know, who it's, 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 but again, it's, it's tough to say there, there's always, you know, so much craziness that can, you know, throw a race, uh, you know, make it haywire. That being said, there's a lot of passing opportunities here, especially on the Kemmel straight, which I believe is the longest straight of the year. So, you know, if you're talking about the cars with the pure pace are the ones that are probably going to end up at the top. All right. Tell me if this is true from Nebraska Jones, who says Spa has two of the top eight corners in F1. Is he, I, I mean, he's got to be, he's probably referring to Eau Rouge and either La Source or Radion, which I completely agree. For me, Eau Rouge, that moment is they go up that hill and they kind of sweep left and then sweep right. You see it. It's, it's an iconic shot is, I think, one of, you know, my favorite moments in F1 all season long. So not wrong. That is, that's the next level. Liking cars, level one. Learning about tires, level two. Having favorite corners is level three. Next time we do this podcast, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break down my favorite corners for you, Graydon. From Spa, we go to the Dutch Grand Prix at Circuit Zonfort for the first time since 1985. The only question I have for you, Graydon, do you know who was on the podium at the Dutch Grand Prix in 1985? Wow, gosh, I don't, I don't. Should I take a wild stab at yes, it? Yes, if you guess okay. <laughs> the top three names from the 1980s Formula One driving, you will probably get it. If I guess the top three names from the 1980s, I'll probably get it. So what, Nigel Mansell? Uh, maybe the next three names. <laughs> okay. Alan, Alan, is, Al, is, is that too young, early for Alan Prost to be on? Prost the, on is the there, finished second. Okay, Prost is, Prost is there. Um, it's... It's probably, it's probably a little too early for Senna to be there. No, it's not too early. He's on the podium there. Third. Okay, wow. And then who would be first at this time? Nikki Lauda. There you go. There you go. Yeah, once I saw that, I was like, I can ask this question. I know these three names. I've seen these yeah. movies. Um, I don't know anything about this track, do you? I know it's uh it's it's one of the slower tracks I believe uh in the in the circuit it's 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 got a so it's going to be more similar to probably like a um you know Abu Dhabi or Singapore I think or no actually Singapore might be not a good comparison but nonetheless I think you're not necessarily going to see the you know the top speeds that you see at Silverstone or Spa but um I, other than that you know it, I mean the last time they raced here I I was one years old, so I don't remember. <laughs> great times, great times. I don't remember the race. I assume there will be a giant Verstappen fan section. There are a lot of orange, oh, so I'm looking gosh. forward to that. Final the leg fan. of our triple header, the Italian Grand Prix at Monza. That was a crazy one last year. Pierre Gasly, first win of his career, ended up on the podium with Carlos Sainz and Lance Stroll. There's that great shot of them on the podium up above uh the empty crowd and nobody was there. Kind of a bummer they didn't have anybody to celebrate with, but some incredible shots. We got other notable dates on the back half of the schedule here as well, Graydon. The United States Grand Prix at the Circuit of the Americas down in Texas, October 24th. Like you said, we're getting a second Grand Prix here in the States next season, but it's the only one right now. Uh, Laura's dad and brother went to the NASCAR Grand Prix at the Circuit of the Americas down there. Said it was awesome. I think Chase Elliott won in a rainout. My question for you, 
What are we going to one of these U.S. Grand Prix? Oh, I'm down to go anytime. That is the only Grand Prix I've been to live is the U.S. Grand Prix. I went in 2018. I actually saw Kimi Raikkonen win there. The last race he won, the last race he'll probably ever win. And I thought it was incredible. I, I had wondered, is this going to be as exciting as it is on TV? If you can't follow the guys as much, maybe you've got a little bit less information. But at the end of the day, watching them so closely pass by lap after lap, inch closer to one another, when you see one of those kind of long overtakes that takes you know 10 laps to evolve as somebody chases someone down, it's so cool to see live. The crowd is, is totally electric. It's a really fun space. I would Huge wreck if you are into F1, whether you've been into a long time or just now getting into it. Go to the race in Austin. It's a great time. Is it a full weekend thing? Are you there for practice and qualifying or the race or are you just a race man? I, I would do qualifying in the race. Practice, if you are a huge That's, that's, diehard, stuff, yeah, that's for the sickos. I mean, that's like, I, practice is is. Uh, is a bit much. It's not that exciting. <laughs> All right. Also on the schedule, the Sao Paulo Grand Prix at Interlagos. I know that one's a little bit up in the air. We had some good uh, Lewis Hamilton drama in the past there with Alex Albon. I think the championship could still up, be up for grabs at that point. And we end things with a double header: the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, December 5th, the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, December 12th. This is a long season. But the good thing with this year, I think, is that sometimes when you get to these last couple of races, they do not matter at all, right? Like the championship has been decided and we're just racing out the string. Do you think these ones are going to count this year? It feels like it. It, it doesn't feel to me like we're gonna be, somebody's going to be 30, 50, however many points clear like we've had in the past seasons where they wrapped it up. I think we've had Hamilton wrap it up in recent years in Brazil, in Mexico, maybe some other places. Uh, you know, so it's definitely there. I, I don't I don't see it happening. It's just too close. It's too tight. I don't think anybody's going to give an inch right up to the end. I think at the very least, you might still see people, even if the driver's title is wrapped up, you'll still see them competing for the constructor's title, which I think is going to be very tight as well. So I think there's going to be a lot to race for all the way up to, to Abu Dhabi. Sounds like we might need to run this podcast back the week after Thanksgiving, but that's for the future. Now it's time for predictions. Can't let you leave without getting some skin in the game. Graydon, who wins the Drivers' Championship? Who wins the Constructors' Championship? For the Drivers' Championship, I'm going to go with Max Verstappen. I think he's been the better driver to date this year. I think he would clearly be in the lead if it weren't for a few very prominent DNFs. I think that he has what it takes to put it together and take the title away from Mercedes. It won't be easy. It's going to be the fight of his life. Clearly the toughest thing he's ever done out on the track. But I think he's got what it takes. I think he he has the talent needed to beat him. So does that mean you think that Red Bull would therefore win constructors as well? I actually don't. I actually think that Mercedes hangs on to the constructors championship. I think that they have that Sergio, while he's growing into the car and performing better, is just not as comfortable with the car as Botas is behind the wheel of the Mercedes. I think Botas has a lot to drive for, trying to save his seat, trying to save uh, you know his place in F1 in general. I think that they'll both uh, i think that your botox will put it on the podium enough times that mercedes actually will win the constructors title but we'll have a split championship this year 
what happens when they have a split championship? Are you even happy? Like, uh, I mean, Max would be happy. He's the Max champion. Lewis, I have to imagine, would be disappointed. It happens from time to time. You know, it's, it's, it hasn't happened in recent years because Mercedes has been so dominant. And then before that, Red Bull and Vettel were so dominant. But it actually does happen, you know, historically. There's plenty of examples of it. We're just modern F1 fans aren't that used to it. Well, we got a poll up on our YouTube page where you can go and vote. We asked who will win the 2021 Drivers' Championship. 51% say Lewis Hamilton, 49% for Max Verstappen. I mean, that's as close as the real races are. Um, I'm throwing my hat in with Hamilton. You got to beat him. Let's see somebody do it. How about third place, though, Graydon? We're talking, uh, let's talk constructors here, because more than likely it'll either be another Red Bull driver or another Mercedes driver who's third in drivers. But what about for the constructors championship? You think uh, Ferrari's going to be able to pull this off? For the constructors? I, I think actually Ferrari does pull it off because I think that Leclerc to date is underachieving and actually can step up his game. I think he's going to get on more podiums. I think it's even possible that he'll take a win before the end of the season. Meanwhile, Lando is basically driving perfectly. And if he continues to drive perfectly, they'll be very competitive. But I just wonder, you know, is it, I think it's possible. It's only a DNF here or there for Lando, even for faults not his own. Suddenly they slip back. So I th- for me, I think that Ferrari probably ekes it out. But that is going to be razor thin. I think that is going to be also very fun to watch up until the very last race, as I truly believe that won't be decided until Abu Dhabi. That'll be awesome. Do you think uh, Lando can stick in third? Do you think he has a chance? I think he has a chance, for sure. I mean, uh, to be honest, he, he probably has been the best this season of anybody out there. He's just not in the best car. You know, he, he, He's been incredible. I think that Botas, you know, the the Merc is a meaningfully better car, and Botas, despite his flaws, you know, if he just, you know, steadies his hand a little bit, can take back third, I think, pretty easily. In fact, I probably expect that. That's why I'm picking Merc to win the Constructors' title. But it's not going to be easy, and if Lando can, you know, can, can keep it up, there's no reason he can't. I don't think they have this saying in F1, but they should take this from uh, basketball. You can't teach height. You can't teach cars. So even if you're in a Merc, you got a chance because you're going fast. Last question I need answered, Graydon. Give me a bold prediction for the second half of the season. Okay, my, I thought a lot about this. I thought, is it Lando wins a race? Is it Leclerc wins a race? Those aren't bold enough. I think nobody would actually be that surprised to see that at this point. For me, my bold take, and I think I alluded to it earlier this season, is despite Botas coming in third, despite Botas helping Mercedes win yet another Constructors title, this is his last year in F1. I do not think he has a drive next year. I think he leaves even somewhat willingly, but I don't think he's done driving. I think he's going to take up rally racing. He loves to rally race in the offseason. I think we're going to see him in a different motorsport next year, but Botas will not be a part of F1 in 2022. I actually think that's really cool when uh, the whether by choice or by not having a seat, a driver leaves Formula One and catches on somewhere else and gets to show their skills in a different kind of car. Like we've seen Grosjean do that. Alonso did it as well. Rally driving seems pretty different, though. Yeah, it is. It is very different. And I don't know that it's, you know, that the, the skills translate 
that immediately, but uh, he loves it. And certainly the Finnish, he's from Finland, the Finnish are one of the great rally driving cultures. It's something that I think he's loved for a very long time and enjoys participating in. And he thinks, in fact, has made him a better F1 driver, his experience in rally. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him go uh, give it a shot. Well, my stupid bold prediction was that Lando's gonna win a race. Nobody would be surprised by that. Man, <laughs> sorry, what a casual I, 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 this guy is. Gosh, gosh, I, 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 he's in third. He's in third. I, 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 you know, you gotta think that he's right there. Yeah, he's, he's right been killing there. it. Three podiums this year, the most after Hamilton, Verstappen, and Botas. He had 15 straight finishes in the points before Hungary. He's been finishing in the top five. He just needs a little luck to end up uh, atop the podium. It's going to happen this year. Going to happen. That'll do it for the inaugural edition of No Breaks. Graydon, my man, you hooked me up with golf clubs last week, and now you're making this F1 podcast sing. Thank you so much. Where can the people follow you, my man? Oh, gosh. You know, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Mr. Gordian. Uh, that's, where, that's where I'm at. It's where I'm tweeting about F1. It's where I'm tweeting about the NBA and probably sharing photos of my cats. So Uh, (laughs) if if you're interested in those three things, I'm your man, I'm your man, so. Yeah, and if you're interested in more Formula One talk, drop us a line somewhere. Send us a tweet, leave a comment on this YouTube stream, shoot us an email, whatever. If you want more Formula One talk, maybe we'll run it back uh, before those last couple of races and make sure you hit up Breaking Tea for your no dunks racing shirt just released today only going to be available for a week you can get that at nodunks.com or breakingtea.com slash nodunks we will be back on friday with the fourth installment of fast friends breaking down 2009's fast and furious it's race week here on no dunks all cars all the time clipper bros You heard it here first. Have a great time. Turn up. Love you guys. Awesome. Stay speedy out there, people.